we are in a place in Scripture that if we could, it should be shouted from the rooftops for this, our country to hear. Oh, yeah, I understand we are in what is called the Great Tribulation. We are in the very last of times. It's a time where everything is through. God has just taken us back so that you and I can see what He has judged. He has judged a false religious system. He called it an abomination to this earth, the great harlot. He, he called it that because it took anyone and everyone away from the only true way to find salvation. We taught last week. Through Jesus Christ, His Son, our Lord and Savior. There is no other way. We learned that way back from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 4, where Cain tried to bring God his fruit of the ground. The Lord had no regard for it. The reason God had no regard is because He told them exactly how to come with the blood of an animal. And so we learned that also from the Tower of Babel in the 11th chapter of the book of Genesis, way back in the beginning where the people tried to reach up for themselves to God into the heavens and he scattered them. He confused their language and scattered them across the whole world. We learned last week what happened to false religion. It, it fell. It finally collapsed. And that was because, if you open your Bibles with me to, uh, we're in the book of Revelation, we're in the 18th chapter, but I want to just review just a second, because they're going to try and cover the whole chapter, chapter 18 this morning. But uh, what I want you to see is false religion just devoured itself. In verse 16 of chapter 17, it said, The beast ended up hating the harlot. You'll see that in the middle of verse 16. Made her desolate, made her naked, ate of her flesh, burnt her up with, with fire. Satan did not want that anyone or any person or anything would worship anything but himself. And eventually he devoured this false religion, and then he brought everything to this false security of this economic system. That's what we're going to see in chapter 18. But as it says in verse 17 of the 17th chapter, God, God is the one who put it in their hearts to execute God's purpose. And that's the truth of everything. God has a plan. He is our everything. He is the one that we are to glorify. And so our Lord says, enough of this false religious system. It's, it's, it's of no value. And so he stopped it. It was the purpose in his heart to stop it. He's going to do the same thing with the false economic system. And what it is today, for you and me, this is as current as this morning's newspapers. All of a sudden, some years ago, our economy collapsed. Housing collapsed. Most of us, our, house, our homes now are underwater, most of us. We, we have, it's collapsed. And what God is trying to present to you and me, and this is so wonderful for us to hear this today, is that our trust and our faith cannot be placed in any false religion or any false economic system. It doesn't work. It will all collapse sooner or later. What he is asking is we're going to, I'll get to the point during the message, but let me say it to you up front. He wants you and me to seek first his kingdom. Seek first his righteousness. Then he says, I will add all these other things to you as he so sees fit within our lives. 
And so what I want to do with you, if you don't mind, is to read through this whole chapter. I know it's a lot, but I want to read through chapter 18 because it all fits together. And it, if we can fit it into this half an hour or a little bit more, it's better because it has, it has a con- continuity to it. It fits together. Let's try with all of our hearts to do this. And and hold on with me because there's a lot to, to cover, but it fits. You'll see. Read with me, please. Let me just say, after these things. Now, in chapter 18, verse 1, these three words, after these things, means that after what has just taken place in chapter 17, the fall, the collapse of the false religious system, God now is going to collapse the false economic political system that has encompassed the world. Watch how he does it. Chapter 18, verse 1 through through verse 24. After these things... John writes, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. The earth was illumined with his glory. He cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her, of her immorality. Kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. Then he says in verse 4, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you may not participate in her sins, and that you may not receive of her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities." Pay her back even as she has been paid and give back to her double according to her deeds. In the cup which she has mixed, mix twice as much for her. To the degree that she has glorified herself and lived sensuously, to the same degree give her torment and mourning. She says in her heart, I sit as a queen and I am not a widow and I will never see mourning. For this reason, in one day her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for the Lord God who judges her is strong. Verse 9, The kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and lived sensuously with her will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning. Standing at a distance because of the fear of the torment, saying, Woe, woe, the great city Babylon, the strong city. For in one hour your judgment has come. The merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linen, purple and silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every article of ivory and every article made with very costly wood and bronze and iron and marble. And also cinnamon and spice and incense and perfume and frankincense and wine and olive oil and fine flowers and wheat and cattle and sheep and cargoes of horses and chariots, slaves and human lives. And the fruit you long for has gone from you. And all things that were luxurious and splendid have passed away from you and men will no longer find them. The merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand at a distance because of the fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe, 
the great city, she who was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. In one hour such great wealth has been laid waste. And every shipmaster, every passenger and sailor, and as many as make their living by the sea, stood at a distance. And they were crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like the great city? They threw dust on their heads and were crying out, weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe, the great city in which all who had ships at sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she has been laid waste. Verse 20 is a shift in gears. Verse 20 takes us into heaven, saying, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. A strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. Verse 22, the sound of the harpists and the musicians, the flute players and the trumpeters, they will not be heard in you any longer. And no craftsman of any craft will be found in you any longer. And the sound of a mill will not be heard in you any longer. And the light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will not be heard in you any longer. For your merchants were the great men of the earth because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. It's a tremendous chapter, to be honest with you. It is as current as this morning's newspaper because it gives a warning to all and everyone who would want to build their hope and their dreams upon their riches. Our Lord God says very clearly in the book of Luke, He says, wherever your treasure is, there is where your heart will be also. And the lesson will be clear, I hope, by the end of this message. The lesson will be, where do you and I place our treasure what do we consider of most value to us? Is it our things or is it our relationship with God? What you'll see in this chapter is their lamenting is not over their relationship with God. Not at all. They lament and they weep and they mourn because they have lost their riches. They can't make their living anymore. And they don't know where to turn. And I want to warn you and me. I, this is not a message pointing just at you. This is a message pointing to us. I want to warn us. To be careful where we place our faith and our trust. Where your treasure is, we are told in Luke chapter 12, verse 34, there your heart will be also. I had one man tell me once, he said, if I were to disciple men and they allowed me, I would, want, I would ask them the permission to take a look at their checkbook every week. And he, would say, he said, I could tell you there and then where they've placed their importance, whether it is in the things of God or whether it is the things of this world. With that in mind, let's pray. Father, I ask that you'll move me aside, please. This is critical for us, Father, because this message is 
is directed at me as much as it is anyone here in this, in this sanctuary. In fact, that's, that's the truth every week, but this one especially. Because, Father, it gets personal. It gets to talk about our finances. It gets to talk about those things that we treasure. What do we treasure? You tell us, seek, seek first your kingdom. You tell us, seek first your righteousness. Then you say, then you will add all these things to us. And so, Father, teach us well. Those that need this lesson, teach us very, very well. And so, Father, would you multiply our time that we have remaining so that we cover all of this as adequately as you would so desire. And so, Father, we, I preach this message unto you. And I ask that you would open up our eyes. I ask that you would open up our hearts. I ask that you would open up our minds so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. Thank you for August. Thank you for those that participate in, in the worship service. Watch over and, and comfort Anthony as he's getting well, I pray. And um, I pray that I didn't read so fast to bother Heather as she had to translate that. Uh, I just thought about that. If I did, Father Heather, forgive me. Now, Lord, bless us, please, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, here in chapters 17 and 18, God has really, I believe, given us a great, great privilege. And that is what I think you and I already know, but let me say it to you. He has allowed all of us to see that Satan's ways will never, ever succeed. They just won't. He tears it down right to its very, very core. Scripture absolutely makes that clear, though. We are taught that there is no middle ground. There isn't half in and half out. Not, not in our faith. Uh, John writes in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Do not love the world. That means Satan's way. Don't love this system, nor the things of this world, the system of this world. If anyone, he says, loves this world, the system, then the love of the Father is not in them. There's no middle ground. That's the truth of Christianity. It's a good thing to know. We are to be all in. It's, it's like a, I don't play cards much, and, and I certainly don't play poker. I, I'm not, I don't even know. I do know that two of a kind beats three of a kind, but that's after that. I don't know much more. No, the other way around. But anyways, I don't play. I don't play. But I have always heard the statement when I watch anybody playing, they say, I'm all in, all in. I mean, all my, all my, my, my stuff is in the middle. And that's the way I am with our faith. And I want you to be the same. All in, no halfway, no, no middle ground. Just where our treasure is, there's where our heart's going to be. And so John says, don't love this world, nor the things of it. To love the world, he says, then the love of the Father is not really in you. So in chapter 18, after seeing false religion fall, we now are going to find that the economic system is going to explode right before everyone's eyes. Now after these things, in verse 1, marks the beginning of a new vision from the religion now to the economic political system. Now let me just say this for those that like to do these types of studies, and we'll make it just short and very succinct. John says in verse 1, he sees another angel, meaning distinct from the one that he saw in chapter 17, verse 1. But because it, the word another is in the Greek A-L-L-O-S, it means another of the same kind. Therefore, this is not Jesus Christ who has come down. He's not come down yet. Not here in chapter 18. 
If it were Jesus Christ, it would have been, it would have been H-E-T-E-R-O-S in Greek, another of a different kind. But since it's another of the same kind, this is another angel, much like the one that was found in chapter 17, verse 1. Enough of that. Most of you probably don't care one way or the other. But it's important. I like that type of stuff. And so what we see, this angel is, is really fantastic. He's magnificent. He's, he's, he has, in verse 1 and 2, he has great authority. He even illumines the, the earth with his glory. And in verse 2, it says he has this mighty voice which gives him even more authority. And he cries out the fate of Babylon. He says, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Now he's not talking about a, a place. He's talking about a system. This time, as we're going to see, it's an economic, political system that is going to fall. If you'll note in verse 2, this system becomes, verse 2, a dwelling place of demons and a prison for every unclean spirit and every unclean and hateful bird. It was in the vicinity of, in vicinity of Babylon in chapter 9 in verse 16 that we saw after the sixth trumpet was sound that 200 million formerly bound demons were released. And John says in chapter 9 verse 16 at that moment the number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. And so we see these demons, these unclean spirits and unclean and hateful birds are symbolic of the destruction and desolation that is a part of the society now. And comes the theme of, verse, of this chapter in verse 3. It's the theme. Here's, here's what we know that they're talking about. It's about wealth and making wealth. Look, verse 3. All the nations drank of the wine of the passion of her immorality. What's her immorality? Well, the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality with her, her being this system, and the merchants of the earth became rich by the wealth of her sensuality. It is all about wealth. It's all about gaining and gathering together things. And all of a sudden, the rug is going to be pulled out from underneath them, and there will be nothing. It'll be all, as it says here in this chapter, laid waste. Nothing anymore. And so the theme is the economic system. It comes front and center. Now, the earth, you, you must know, is a chaotic mess. All of these demons, because there's the, the bowl judgments, the, the, the trumpet judgments, and the seal judgments have all fallen. And the earth is, they have had earthquakes. The, they're, all the, 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 the fish in, in the sea are dead the, the water is impure, it's like, it's blood. And so the place is a chaotic mess, yet, economically, they're flourishing. But as we're going to see, this will soon stop. Verses 4 and 5, we see another voice from heaven crying out, come out of her, come out of, in other words, this false economic system called Babylon. Come out of her, it says, so that you may not participate in her sins anymore, so that you may not receive her plagues, because her sins have piled up as high as heaven. And God remembers her iniquities. He remembers her sin. Now, think for a moment with me. 
In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17, we are told that our God remembers our sin, those of us who come to Him and trust Him for our salvation. He says in Hebrews 10, 17, that He remembers our sins, what? Very good. Gosh, I love you guys. In Psalms, <laughs> that's all right, you can applaud. In Psalms 102, verse 12, we are told that when we come to Him for the forgiveness of our sins, He takes our sins and He separates it from us as far as what? The east from the west. And so we as believers, our sins are not remembered anymore. They've been separated from us as far as the east is from the west. But to those who have rejected him, oh my, he says that he remembers their sin. He remembers their iniquities. Just a sidebar. I beg of you, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, come to him so that he can forgive you your sin. Come to Him so that He will not remember anything that you've done against Him anymore. Okay, let's look at verse 3 again. Here we get the idea. Their sufficiency is founded in their wealth and in their riches. Look, verse 3. The kings as well as the merchants of the earth became rich by the wealth of her, Babylon, the system's sensuality. The spirit... And system is alive today just as much as it is then. Not as much. I want to take that back. I think it's going to be far greater then, but the system's alive today. We can see it at work. We are living in a very privileged time. Not so privileged because some of us have lost so much. But we are living in a time where we can actually see these things unfolding before us. We can see what is happening to this society in which we live. And we're watching people become despondent, not knowing where to turn because they've lost almost everything. It makes me think of, of Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, where, where God says, what, what will be profited to you if you gain the whole world and lose what? Your soul. He says... What will you give in exchange for your soul? That's a question you might want to ponder. How much would it take for you to cash it all in and, and kind of move away from your faith and, and kind of sell your soul, so to speak? I'm sure that most of you have already thought that through. I, I'm sure that most of you would say, as I would say, there's not enough. There's not... You couldn't give me the world to ask me to take away my faith. And so in verse 4, the angel comes and warns, come out of her. If you have this dependency upon things, find your trust in Christ alone. Come out of her. I want you to listen to Paul's warnings. Um, if you want to turn, please, there. It's just to the left, about five or six books, to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. It talks about money. It's always a tough subject when you're in church, you know. I mean, uh, my father used to say, I am not going to church because all they want is my money. I mean, if I heard that once, we never went to church, by the way. But dad wouldn't go because they wanted his money. But we never went to church. I couldn't, uh, my dad was... He was cool, and I loved him to death. But that's the one place that, that we were not raised as a, a very religious family. We were 
they made me go to church, but there was a park right across from the church, and they made me go alone, so I never went in. I went to the park and played, and then when I heard the bells ring, ding, ding, you know, everybody, and I'd go home, what a day, you know. I was playing the whole time. My, my, my folks, my, my mom, I don't know, my pants were dirty and all that stuff, you know. But uh, we didn't go to church, but talking about money is, is always a difficult thing. Um, it's not something I cherish to do, but, but listen, I'm going to talk about finances here because this is what this whole chapter is about. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse, verse 9, here's the key. It says, those who want to get rich. Now, you might want to mark that. Want to get rich is key. Those who want to get rich will fall into temptation. They will fall into a snare. They will fall into many foolish and harmful desires, which will plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now that's a, a warning, a fair warning. And then it says in verse 10, the love of money. I want you to note something. Not money. Being wealthy is not a crime. It's not bad. It is not unbiblical. It is wonderful if God has blessed you with great wealth. I pray that he makes all of you as wealthy as possible, but not to the degree that you want to get rich or that you love your money. No, he says in verse 10 that the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Some who have been longing for this wealth have wandered away from the faith, and they have pierced themselves with many a pang or grief. And I've been in ministry long enough to see that happen. So Paul warns in verse 11, flee from these things. In other words, flee from this love or this desire to be wealthy. No, we know from Scripture that we are to seek first the kingdom of God. First, we are to seek His righteousness. Then, if He wants you and me to be wealthy, He will add these things to us. But seek Him first. Where your treasure is, there's where your heart's going to be. And so He says, flee these things, you man of God, woman of God, person of God. Rather, He says, pursue the very character traits of Christ. Pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and perseverance and gentleness. You see, money is not evil, people. No, it is not. Being wealthy, you, look, if you drive a wonderful car and you live in a wonderful house, there's nothing, nothing, nothing you need to be ashamed of. It's just, as this is going to teach you and me, it's where do we place our first priority? Is it upon those things or is it upon our God? When money becomes a paramount desire above and beyond our walk with Christ, it will end up leaving everyone who is seeking after it empty and in great distress, even to one where one would fall into ruin and destruction. And, and um, this is a terrible thing, but wander away from their faith. Okay, that's enough of that. Let's go back to chapter 18 and look at verses 6, 7, and 8. God's payback is, is really tough. In verse 8, it says, in one day. In one day means it, it's going to happen abruptly. It's going to happen quickly, suddenly, without warning. The end of this, in here in, in chapter 18, the end of this economic system, their trust in money, just as their trust in false religion fell, so will this system fall quickly. God says, here's the payback in verse 6. Watch. Pay her back. 
even as she has paid, give her double according to her deeds. In the cup which she has mixed, mix twice as much for her. In spite of what people think, no one shall get away from anything here on this earth. God shall repay. He sees and he will repay. Double. The law of God's word is applied. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, it says, Don't be deceived. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a person sows, that's what that person will reap. That's why when, when Fred was asking, when we, when we have the time of worship and we ask for money, please, can you hear me, please? We're not, we don't want your money. We do not want your money. When we ask you to serve the Lord, we don't ask that more people can serve just to have more people serve so that we have less to do. On the contrary, the more people to serve, the, the harder it is on the staff. Now, we ask for your finances. We ask for your time so that you will receive the blessings. I've learned that lesson well from my wife. I've learned that we cannot outgive God, whether it be our time or whether it be our treasure. And we want you to understand that. We want you to see that that that's the blessing that God wants to pour out. Whatever you sow, so shall you reap. I didn't make that up. That's Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. I want you to note in verse 7, though, here in chapter 18, the arrogance and the payback from God to the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously, to the same degree give her torment and mourning, God says. She says in her heart, I'm a queen. She says in her heart, I'm not a widow. She says in her heart, I, I'll never see mourning. Her arrogance is lifted up against God like so many people today that believe they have it all, that, that their finances have them completely under control and that they'll never mourn. They don't have to worry. Yet God says in verse 8, for this reason, in other words, your arrogance in one day, quickly, plagues are going to come. Pestilence, mourning, famine. And you're going to be burned up like she, not you. Uh, that system is going to be burned up with fire. For the Lord God who judges is strong. Just as his purpose was fulfilled in chapter 17 when he, when he got rid of false religion, so his purpose here will be the same. His judgment is strong. On the other hand, we are told in heaven that, well, let's read about it. It's just two pages to the right. Look at chapter 21 of the book of Revelation. Look at verses 3 and 4 for me. It says in, 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 in these verses that, in verse 8, where we were, that God's judgment will be strong against them, their arrogance. But for those of us who have trusted and placed our faith in Christ, look at in Revelation 21, verse 3, it says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He's going to. God will dwell among them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself will be among them, and He'll wipe away every tear from their eye. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have all passed away. We learn from verse 8 of chapter 18 that the mourners, excuse me, the unbelievers there shall mourn. They shall be burnt up with fire. Not so from those of us who believe in Jesus Christ. 
He will be there with us, personally with us, to, to wipe away our tears, to wipe away our sorrow, to, to wipe away all pain, and yes, even to wipe away death. Look at the cause of their despair. Back to chapter 18. It runs from, from verse 9 to verse 19. It's just it's a conglomerate of all the things that, that, that they want to hold on to. Verse 9 gives you the key. It does. Look at verse 9 again in chapter 18. It says, The kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and lived sensuously with their wealth, with this system, are going to weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning. We need to take a look at the, the words weep and lament over this system. If we to turn back to chapter 1 and verse 7, you don't need to. It says, Behold, Jesus Christ is going to come with the clouds. And it says, Every eye at that time is going to see Him. And those who pierced Him will, will mourn over Him. It's the same word used here in verse 9 of chapter 18. The word mourn means to have total and utter despair. But instead of mourning over the Savior whom they see, no, in verses 9 through 19, they're going to weep and lament and mourn over the system that is lost, their wealth. That's what gets their total despair. Not the loss of the Savior. Not the loss of their soul. No, it's the loss of their finances. They mourn because, as it says in verse 11, look, the merchants of the earth weep and they mourn. That means to, to grieve out of control, to have total despair, because no one buys their stuff anymore. Nobody, is, nobody has money to buy. Nobody has then businesses open. Everything is collapsing. Duh. It's what's happening here. It's what's happening in, in our society today. You see, the kings then and the merchants there and everyone in between, rich and poor, money has become their god. It's familiar today. It's today's headlines. Can't you see that system with us today that as we scurry watching everything around us shatter? And far too many people today have made their things their driving force in life. Our society today has placed its confidence in, in things. It's the words of Jesus ought to ring loud and clear. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Nonetheless, in each case, from the kings to the merchants, their despair over the loss of their things is a picture of their total and complete despair. As verse 11 says, it is because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Nobody buys their stuff. They can't make their wealth. Therefore, they weep and mourn in total despair. It's ironic. They bought into the system which says you have to take a mark. In chapter 13, verse 17, we saw this. Watch how it all starts to fit together. In chapter 13, verse 17, it says you couldn't buy or sell without the mark of the beast. And now they themselves are denied the right to buy or sell, but this time it's because of the judgment of God. What they can no longer sell or buy is, is a list that is given from verses 12 and 13. Divided into, as I see it, six categories. You might change it, but just watch with me. Verse 12. 
precious wares, their finances. Gold, silver, precious stones, pearls. These are, these are things that they could purchase other things with, but they don't have them anymore. Clothing for the rich. Fine linen, purple, silk, scarlet, to make them look good. Are you kidding me? We've already learned that they've got malignant sores all over their bodies, but they want to dress themselves up. Materials for fine furnitures in verse 12. Every kind of citron wood, every article of ivory, everything that's made from costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble. They want to dress up their homes so, so, so that they might surround themselves with more things. Priceless spices for their fragrances. Now, we already learned they have no water to, to really bathe with. So... They're going to put on cinnamon, spice, incense, perfume, frankincense, so that that might smell somewhat decent. Expensive foods. This I can't blame them for. I love to eat. Wine, olive oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep. Food had to be of great importance. Last is the worst. Animals and human lives were, were dispensable. Horses, chariots, slaves, human lives. In verse 13, life became meaningless to them. And so they sold animals right alongside of human beings. Placing animals here with humans spoke to the, the value of neither. It shows a contempt for human beings on which that system will prosper. So the statement of verse 14 comes by saying these things have passed away. You'll no longer find them. They're not, they're not there. Once what was in abundance is now gone. This is what I wanted to turn us to that is critical. Would you find Luke chapter 12? Hold your place here. Luke is, is the third gospel in from the New Testament. So if you go to Matthew, Mark, and then Luke... If you go to John, you've gone one book too far. Luke is just before John. Through Luke chapter 12, our Lord gives a parable that is critical for chapter 18 of the book of Revelation. It also applies for you and me today, of course. And if it applies to you, then listen and learn. If it does apply to you, don't put this lesson off. In chapter 12... In verse 13, someone in the crowd came to Jesus Christ and said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. To which Jesus Christ quickly says to him, Who appointed me a judge and arbitrator over you? Then he taught him a lesson. He said, Beware. Be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. You really don't need to go any further than that. Not even when you have a lot, an abundance, does your life consist of these things. Why not? Because he's going to say later, seek the kingdom first. Seek his righteousness first. Then these things will be added to you. But he goes on to say, he tells him a parable in verse 16 saying there's a, a guy that's very rich and he has a lot of land and his land is productive. Verse 17, he began reasoning to himself, saying, what shall I do 
since I have no place to store my crops. In other words, I've got so much, I've got to build bigger barns. And that's what he does in verse 18. He says, this is what I'll do. I'm going to tear down my old barns and build larger ones. And there I'm going to store all my grain and my goods. And then I'm going to say to my soul, Soul, you've got many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease. Eat, drink, be merry. God calls him a fool. God says in verse 20, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who's going to own what you have prepared? And so, he says, is the person who lays up treasure for themselves and is not rich towards God. And so is the person who has laid up treasures for themselves and not rich towards God. He then said to his disciples, as I say to you and I say to myself, for this reason I say to you, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious for your life. Don't be anxious as what you're going to eat or your body for what you're going to put on it. Life is more than food. Body is more than the clothing. And then he gives this comparison. Consider the ravens. They don't reap. They don't, they don't have a storeroom nor a barn. Yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than these birds? How much? So much. Which of us can be anxious, can add a single cubit to our lifespan? Verse 26. If you cannot do even a very little thing, then why are you anxious, anxious about other matters? Another comparison, he says in verse 27, Consider the lilies, how they grow. They don't toil, they don't spin. But I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory didn't clothe himself like one of these. If God so arrays the grass in the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is going to be thrown into the furnace, how much more, how much more, how much more people will he clothe you, people of faith, little faith? Do you not seek what you shall eat and what you shall drink? Do not seek what you shall eat and drink. Do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your Father knows. Your Father knows that you need these things. Seek His kingdom. These things shall be added to you. Verse 34, then it closes by saying, Where your treasure is, which I have said about three or four times now, there will be your heart as well. If this applies to you, if this is... If this is something that you need to consider in your life, think it through. It's, it is critical. Let's get back to chapter 18. Let's finish this up. In verses 15, 16, 17, and 18, there is mourning and there is weeping and there is lamenting. Stop and consider. Do they, do they mourn over the loss of their souls? No. And God made it perfectly clear to them. He gave them two witnesses. He gave them 144,000 evangelists that evangelized the whole world, and He gave them an angel flying in mid-heaven proclaiming the eternal gospel, telling them about what eternity is all about. And for their eternal lives, they don't weep. No, they weep over the loss of their finances. They weep and they mourn, meaning they have total despair over that. In verse 16, they cry over Babylon, the economic city. The system, I should say. In verse 17, it says in one hour. In other words, suddenly she is going to become laid waste. In verse 18, they say, what city is like the great city? Well, God says there is a city I'm building that's far greater than this. The inference is this. They were deceived into believing that the beast and his system, the great city and its wealth, would prevail over God. Not so. 
And so in verse 19, they weep and they mourn. And they did as people did in the Old Testament. They poured dust over their heads. It was a sign of great mourning and sorrow. But they are not mourning and lamenting over the sin in their soul. No, they are mourning and lamenting because they, in one hour, have lost everything. Everything's laid waste. The source of their wealth has gone up in smoke. Now in verse 20, we see a change of attitude. We see heaven itself, and there, there is rejoicing. The saints, the apostles, the prophets, they all cheer because God has pronounced judgment against Babylon's economic and religious system. It's done. It's over with. It's the answer to what they cried out, those that were martyred on earth, back in chapter 6, verse 10, that I've said to you over and over again, when they, they cried out to the Lord, How long, dear Father, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood upon those who dwell on the earth? Well, it's done. He has settled that question. And don't miss this point. While we see the kings and the merchants of the earth mourn, we see those of us who are in heaven rejoice. And then we see in verse 21, a strong angel comes and throws a stone like a millstone into the ocean, the sea, and says, thus it will be about Babylon. That's what it's going to be about this system. That's going to be thrown down with violence, he says in verse 21. And it won't be found anymore. So John pronounces the final judgment upon the mysterious Babylon, the harlot. A sudden and violent end. It says in verses 22 and 23, there's not going to be any more music. Not there on the earth. Not for that system. No more harps or musicians. No more flute players. No more trumpets. Along with that, there's no more trade, craftsmen, no industry. No sound of the mill anymore. Verse 23, no more light from the lamp. It won't shine on you anymore. For the believer... We were told in John chapter 8, verse 12, that Jesus Christ is our light. He says, I am, he pronounced this in front of everyone, believer and non-believer alike. I am the light of this world, he said. And everyone who follows after me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. But now their light, those who have refused to believe in him, their light is gone. And in verse 23, it says they will marry no more either. The joy of marriage is gone. Jeremiah predicted this. Predicted this day, and this time, this moment. In Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 34, he says, God says, I will make cease the voice of joy and gladness. The voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride and the land will become a ruin. And that's what's happening. In verse 23, it tells us that the merchants were the great men on this earth. Not so with God. No. God says His great men and women are those prophets and saints who had been slain on the earth, who have shed their blood for the cause of Jesus Christ. I want to close with this thought. You and I don't have to necessarily die to be blessed by God. I'll take that back. We do have to die to ourselves. We have to die to this, this desire to become great or to become powerful or to become wealthy. 
Wealth is not wrong. Please, please, don't hear me say that. Don't hear the, the Lord say that. He honors and blesses many, many, many rich people throughout the Scriptures. Money's not the issue. It's where your heart is. That's the issue. That's what chapter 18 is trying to teach us. With false religion gone, now false, the false economy and, and political system is gone as well. And he's saying to you and to me, seek first his kingdom. Seek first his righteousness. He'll add anything he wants to give you, depending upon what he wants to give you. Where your treasure is, there's where your heart should be. More than anything else in the world, I want, I want you to grasp this particular chapter because I think, it's, I think it's a part of what our society is like in this world in which we live today. We are grasping, grasping, grasping for someone to get us out of this economic mess that we are now in as the United States of America. Let me tell you something. Whoever we vote in to office in so many is not going to be the answer. If you think that person's going to be the answer, let me tell you, I don't care what side of the aisle you sit on, they're all scoundrels. Every single one of them. They're not worth their weight in salt, in my opinion. And they said, I promise you, they'd say I'm not either, and I get it. But the fact of the matter is, we are not to place our trust in that. We are to place our faith and our trust in none other than our Savior. Seek Him first. Seek His righteousness first. Other stuff will be added to you. He'll give you what He thinks you should have. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. I pray that it's in Him. Also, very selfishly pray it's in this church that we will do great, marvelous things because we have no agenda other than to bless Him, to serve Him. Father, please, allow us to understand what we just studied. Man, it's critical, Father. It really is. In this society in which we live, I don't know how it's going to go and how it's going to unfold. No one knows if this is moving us in towards the end times or, or not. But Father, it, it's really, it's really, in, it's very interesting that that we are studying through this great book, and we are going through this time in our society where things uh, look perilous to us. I mean, it, it looks difficult. I just pray that that we will find our hope and our trust in you, you and you alone. And like you promised in the parable, you will care for us. You say that you know what we're going through and you will care for us. For that we trust you and we give you thanks. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Folks, I love you more than you'll ever know. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Have a great, great day.